Merci. Often we'll get something across our desks that feels urgent. You know, there's an email from uh, a colleague or your boss or a client that you feel like, okay, I, I really need to respond to this as soon as possible. When maybe you don't, maybe if it'll sit around for two hours, nothing will happen. Hi, I'm Dr. Irene O'Brien, and you're listening to Neuroscience of Coaching. I'm a cognitive neuroscientist with almost 30 years of study and practice in psychology and neuroscience. As the founder of the Neuroscience School, I teach coaches and other wellness professionals practical, evidence-based strategies to use in their own practices. So in each episode, I introduce a topic or concept that coaching clients struggle with, bringing you the latest scientific research in psychology and neuroscience. I invite a seasoned coach to discuss the topic with me, and together we provide you with useful science-based tools to help your clients reach their goals by working with their brains rather than against their brains. In today's episode, we'll be discussing attention. We will talk about why focusing our attention can be so difficult and how to use science-based strategies to achieve more sustained focus. Our brains are very busy, always attending to something. The problem is that we're not always in charge of what that something is. The human brain is hyper-aware of novelty. Sometimes we call this shiny object syndrome. And sometimes this is not a bad thing. Let's say you're walking in the park. It's a quiet, sunny day, and you're looking at the trees and flowers and birds lost in your thoughts. You would want your brain to quickly switch focus and alert you if an unfriendly dog is running towards you. However, if you're working on a project with a tight deadline, you don't want your brain to alert you every time your phone beeps or the screen lights up. So how does our brain choose what to pay attention to? Through something called salience. Simply put, salience is the quality of standing out or being particularly noticeable. And it doesn't have to be something external. Our own irrelevant thoughts can be enough to grab our attention. The salience network in our brain is responsible for switching between the default mode network and the attention network, which we talked about in episode one. You may remember that the default mode network is the network in the brain that is active when we're at rest or in our own internal thoughts. The attention network is active during problem solving and sustained attention. The salience network can be reactive as when something grabs our attention, or it can be deliberate as when we decide to look both ways before crossing a street. Either way, it directs our attention through one of the other two networks because our brains cannot operate in more than one network at the same time. So when we want to stay focused on a task, we need to deliberately get into the attention network. I just want to mention that if you lack the motivation to focus on a task, check out the episode we did on motivation. Although the end result is a bit different, the strategies we use for directing attention are very similar to the ones we use for increasing motivation. Because in both instances, the goal is to get out of the default mode network and into a more productive brain network. With practice, your intention to deliberately pay attention to a task, coupled with actively employing strategies, will direct your brain to prioritize the intended focus. 
Probably the quickest and easiest way to take your mind out of the default mode network is to simply take a deep breath and without judgment, put your attention on items in the room around you or outside a window. Go ahead and try it now. And notice how your attention shifts. You may have to do this several times in a relatively short span of time, as it does take continued practice to train your brain to focus. Another strategy that works well, but can take a bit more effort, is to complete a quick and easy task before jumping into something that is going to take more sustained attention. So let's go ahead and dive in with today's guest on the topic of attention. Today, I'll be chatting with Ari Inney. Ari is the Director of Growth at Miracy and the co-host of Course Lab, another podcast here on the Miracy FM network. As a former ACES coach at Miracy, he also has extensive experience in coaching entrepreneurs. Welcome to the show, Ari. Thank you for having me. I'm excited for our conversation. And I'm excited to talk to you today about directing focused attention. But first, can you tell us a little bit about your coaching work and how you came to be doing the work you do now? Absolutely. So I started coaching in our ACES program six years ago, working with entrepreneurs to help them grow their businesses and looking at the entirety of their business and entirety of themselves as we're working on it. Because if we are to focus only on the business growth, we found that it just isn't as effective. We need to work with the person that we are coaching to really understand what works for them and to support them in putting in the strategies that will actually help them grow and be able to implement what we're working on together so that they can do what they need to do. Then over the past couple of years, I've been the head of strategy in that program, working with people on the kind of larger strategic vision. And over the past few months, I've stepped into the director of growth role here at Mercy, as you mentioned. Okay, well, thank you for that, Ari. So I explained how the allocation and prioritization of attention works in the brain from the salient network into either the default mode network or the attention network. So how does the science line up with your experience, either personally or in working with coaching clients? It lines up perfectly. So this is a huge challenge for the people that I've worked with, keeping them focused on the tasks that will be most impactful for a number of reasons. You know, one is that whatever it is that they're focusing on or want to be focusing on is usually the harder stuff, the things that they may not fully know how to do quite well yet. And so what you mentioned about starting with an easier task as a way to kickstart that process and help people retain focus as they go into the tasks that are more difficult for them and they have less experience with is something that I often recommend people to do. I didn't know how well it aligned with the science. And so I, I'm glad to hear it. I'm glad to learn about it. The idea of essentially shifting someone's focus away from all of the distractions that they might have in front of them is also something that I often try and work with people on using techniques like time blocking and other methods to remove as many potential tasks that they have. Another that I use often is the do later list so that they can put all of the tasks that they have in front of them that they think they should be focusing on aside, not away, not getting rid of them, but putting them off to the side in order to stay on just the one thing that they need to be looking at right now. 
Yeah, so exactly. I mean, everything that I've been teaching, you do. And so now you know the science behind that. And this breaking things down into small tasks, doable tasks, is a really powerful strategy. We discussed that in episode one, but it is, it's a super strategy and I teach it to my students and it can set you up for a really uh, productive day if you start your day with the small tasks that you can achieve. Yeah. So first of all, I'm very glad that you are doing this because it took me years to figure these things out. These are, you know, after six years of doing this, here are the practices that I always work on with my clients because I know that these are the things that work through trial and error. And so I'm glad that you're shortcutting that for everyone who's listening right now. So something else that I think is really important is absolutely starting the day with a small task that people can accomplish quickly and feel that kind of success and that rush of, okay, I'm getting things done. I can move into larger and larger and larger tasks. And I think it's also very important for people to plan out their days in a way that supports that. Because if they take themselves out of their rhythm of focus, it's very important from what I've seen at least, and I, hopefully the science agrees with me, to restart that process. So it's not just about the one short task, the one thing to start off your day successfully, it's what are the blocks of time that you're going to be doing focus work? And how do you kick off each of those blocks of time with those quick wins to get you into the rhythm, into the flow of the work that you're trying to do? In your experience, Ari, what do you think most often gets in the way of sustaining attention? And where do you find that clients get off track? Oh boy. I think the biggest thing well, there are a number of different things. So one is kind of the shiny object syndrome that you mentioned earlier. That happens a lot, especially with business owners, but I would guess with anyone. Whenever there's a task that you're working on that you don't know how to accomplish, and I think this is the key thing, you know, often we don't find it difficult to focus on the things that we know how to do and that are easy for us. I mean, that's why the whole piece around starting with quick wins makes so much sense because like, okay, these are the things we know how to do. It's the moment we get into places of overwhelm of like, this is a big task. I don't know how to accomplish it. I don't feel successful right now and I want to feel successful. And so people will often go off and try something else and do something else. And, you know, something that I know I can definitely do is go look up some random thing online. I'm going to be successful in finding a recipe or finding, you know, an article about this thing that I'm trying to work on, this tactic that I'm trying to work on. That won't actually help me. And so that shiny object syndrome is one big thing that what you mentioned earlier that you spoke about apparently in the last episode, breaking things down, that's why it's so, so important to do so that there isn't that feeling of overwhelm. Because in my experience, that's the thing that eliminates focus the most. It's that wall that people hit. Yeah. And I absolutely do identify with that because when I hit that wall, I find that I personally do, you know, go after the shiny objects and I just bring myself back and I think, no, just break it down, right? Just break down that wall. But, you know, sometimes also we just need to take a break right? because it might be because we've hit that wall because it is difficult, but also because we've been working for a while and our brain is tired and we just need that break. And then when you come back to it, right? You might have more focus. Yeah. Yeah. That makes total sense. And then the other thing that I've found that tends to cause that lack of focus is people looking at the, what they see as urgent versus the important. And so this is where people will often say, it's like, okay, I'm, you know, it's something I need to be doing. It's not that I'm just going off and doing some random other thing, something that I do need to do, 
and it feels more urgent when it may or may not actually be. But the important tasks that really will make a difference for them keep getting pushed off. And so that's the value of planning your day because you can plan it based on how important the task is or important and urgent. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and it also gives you the space to think about how urgent is this thing really? Often we'll get something across our desks that feels urgent. You know, there's an email from a colleague or your boss or a client that you feel like, okay, I really need to respond to this as soon as possible. When maybe you don't, maybe if it'll sit around for two hours, nothing will happen. And so even putting into place the tools so that those distractions don't even come in, like using a tool that'll allow you to pause your inbox, turning off the ringer on your phone, closing your email entirely while you're trying to do focused work, all of those things can really help in not allowing those distractions to come in. And I'm sure that if you're to do that, you'll see that three hours later, you open your email, there is the urgent, in air quotes, email in there, and nothing happened by answering it three hours later versus 10 minutes later. You know, there's a statement in coaching that the environment always wins, and it is backed by neuroscience. And really, you do all these things like turning off your email notifications, you know, and put your phone on silent so that you minimize these distractions. And that can be huge. And you can go further than that and make sure that your desk and your office is organized. Because if you can't find something that you need, your brain is going to say, well, I don't really need it. Yep. I actually go a step further for myself. And whenever I want to do focus work, I mean, I have a baby at home, I have a dog, I put on headphones and I put on music somewhat loudly in my ears in order to shut out as much as possible, especially when it's whatever we're trying to focus on is hard. Anything can take us out of it. Anything can take us out of that kind of deliberate work that we're trying to do. And so do what you can to minimize that and think about anything, everything that might bring, grab your attention and see what you can do to solve that. Yeah, exactly. And what you're doing with the headphones is that you're changing your environment, right? Because we know the environment always wins. Yep. So Barry, do you think it's helpful to understand what's going on in the brain in order to make positive changes in our behavior where attention is concerned? Absolutely. So I absolutely do think it's important to understand what's going on in our brain. If for no other reason than to know that what you are attempting to do is likely to work, so I mentioned earlier that everything that you said at the top of the episode resonated with me and, you know, it's completely in line with the things that I'm already doing and the ways I'm supporting people, but it took me time to get there. And so I don't see a reason why any coach should need to try and figure this out from scratch when the data is out there, the information, the studies have been done. And so understanding how the brain works so that I can teach the people that I work with what they could be doing to retain their focus and accomplish more. Because at the end of the day, that's what they care about. That's what I care about for them is helping them accomplish what they actually care about doing in the world. Yeah. And I find that my students say the same thing, that when they're able to explain to their clients how the brain works, then clients tend to adopt these strategies more easily right, and faster. That makes total sense to me just in that, again, it's proven. 
it's not a, hey, try this random thing I came up with. It's based on research. This is how the brain works. And so this is why it will work for you. It's like, okay, well, my brain is a human brain, so it will probably work for me as well. I should try it. Yeah, exactly. And I would take that just a bit further too, because I think knowing the signs and understanding what's going on in your brain kind of gives you the permission to move forward, permission you might not give yourself if you don't know what's happening. So often when we lose focus or find ourselves unable to focus, we immediately begin the negative self-talk, right? We beat ourselves up and say things like, what's wrong with me? I can't focus. I'll never get this done. And we can feel like there's something wrong with us or that we are the only ones going through that. When the reality is that there's a simple and normal explanation and everyone else experiences the same thing at some point. And research also shows that having self-compassion allows us to get back on that horse faster, you know? So it's not that you're defective or flawed. You're just human. You have a brain and that's how it works. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's something I see a lot with the entrepreneurs that I work with, you know, that coming back with that saying of, I know I was supposed to do X and I tried to, but I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't focus on it. Other things happened and I feel really bad about it. They feel like they let themselves down and it doesn't matter why it happened. It doesn't matter whether it's justified or not. They still feel terrible about it and they feel dejected. And in my context as a business coach, it just causes so much stalling in growth and stalling in what they're trying to develop, which is a shame. And so equipping people with the tools to break things down, to help them retain a bit more focus can essentially break that cycle. Because the moment any progress is being made, there's a sense of accomplishment. Exactly. It also requires awareness, right? So I think that's something that you help your clients with too, is self-awareness. And it needs to be constant. Right? So when you're having difficulty, you have to really drill down and say, okay, what is it? Like you said, right? Is it because I don't know how to do it? Or is it just because I could be tired right? and I can't do it now? So when I'm writing, writing is a difficult task. And if I find that I am so stuck, especially late in the afternoon, and late in the afternoon for me is two o'clock, right? I'm a, it's two o'clock. And if I just can't seem to, if I'm just going around in circles and I can't seem to get past that block. If I can, I leave it overnight and then I get back to it first thing in the morning. So that's another thing is about understanding our own circadian rhythms. Like when are we most productive, right? At what time of day? There are people who are most productive early in the morning and others really who are productive later in the day or in the night. I'm a very much an early morning person. So I know by two o'clock, it's not going anywhere. It's not going to go anywhere for the rest of the day. Leave it alone, sleep on it, and then get it done in the morning. And it's amazing how fast I can get it done in the morning. And it's interesting how I feel like a lot of people don't know when they're actually most productive. And so something I often actually have people I work with do is do a bit of a time audit in order to understand when are they most productive during the day? What have their days actually looked like? Because unless you're tracking and paying attention, you probably have no idea when you were feeling good, when you weren't, how long things actually took you, or any of those details. And so that's something I would absolutely recommend. 
Yeah, exactly. And when you identify that, then that's when you do your most difficult work. Your most cognitively difficult work is during those times. And so, yes, I do that in the morning. And so when I tell you like at two o'clock when like I've hit a wall and I can't go any further. So it's not that I stop working at two o'clock. I just change tasks and I do something easier. Yeah, I really like that. And I think that it's one of the ways that entrepreneurs, at least, really do get stuck, you know, especially people who are coming out of corporate or a job of some sort where their hours were dictated to them. Yeah. Let me ask you a question, Ari. Do you ever recommend to your clients that they meditate? I don't. And that's mainly because I don't. What I do recommend to people is I usually ask people in the past what has helped them retain focus. What have they tried in the past in their times where they have been able to be most productive, where they have felt most successful? What were the practices that they had in place in order to do that? The reason I asked about meditation, the purpose of meditation is to train the brain. And so you can use meditation to train focus. And there is something called focused attention meditation, where you focus on one thing for 15 minutes, like your breath or a candle. And you just keep bringing your mind back to that focus whenever it wanders. And so that trains the brain to focus. But for some people, just sitting down and focusing on the breath is difficult. And so there are other forms of meditation. Like I used to do walking meditation, right? I would walk my dog in the morning. And so in the walking meditation, I would just make sure that I just, you know, dogs are fun to watch. Right. So I watched the dog. It was springtime then. So I watched the trees coming to life. And every time my mind wandered, I would bring it back. And it was amazing. I'd come back and feel like I had been on a holiday right? because my mind had been rested and it did train my focus. And I was able to then control my thoughts more. So it's not that hard to train your focus. So these are strategies, the focused attention meditation. You can do that in a way that you're comfortable with or that you like, such as the walking meditation, or sit down and focus on a candle or on your breath. I'm actually going to try the focus meditation when I walk my dog later this afternoon. Okay. And then let me know how it goes. Absolutely. Okay. Thank you so much, Ari. My pleasure. This has been a fascinating conversation and it was really interesting and actually very helpful for me as well. So thank you. Thank you all for listening. And remember to practice awareness of where your attention is being directed. Be in charge of your brain and employ simple strategies to deliberately direct your attention where you want it to go. With practice, you'll begin to see big changes in your productivity and ability to focus. I'm Dr. Irene O'Brien, and you've been listening to Neuroscience of Coaching. You can find out more about me at neurosciencesschool.com. The Neuroscience of Coaching is a part of the Miracy FM podcast network, which also includes such shows as Just Between Coaches and Ari's show, Course Lab. This episode was produced by Cynthia Lamb. I wrote this episode with Melissa Deal. Melissa assembled the episode. Danny Innie is our executive producer. And post-production was by Marvin Del Rosario. To make sure you don't miss great episodes coming up on Neuroscience of Coaching, please follow us on Miracy FM's YouTube channel or your favorite podcast player. 
If you enjoyed the show, please leave a comment or a star review. It's the best way to help us get these ideas out there to more people. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.